I don't work from an academic or a verbal base. I use my body to express the unsayable, I would say. I'm very interested and work conceptually. I do research in various aspects of scientific areas that touch on this, but also because of the biology of the body and how we come to be this form. To use my body is important, again, because of the question of rhythm. Welcome to the latest podcast in our Arts Research Africa Dialogue series. These dialogues are intended to stimulate practice, enable research, and inspire collective engagement around the question of artistic research in Africa. I'm Prof. Krista Doherty, the Chair of Research in the Witt School of Arts. In this dialogue, I'll be speaking to Doris Bloom, a multidisciplinary South African artist who's been based in Denmark since 1976. She currently has a major exhibition called Bird Bone Whistler, at the Origin Center Museum in Johannesburg. Doris was born on a farm outside Vereniging, and her deep imaginative engagement with the African landscape has powerfully informed her work over the last 46 years. She began her career by studying ceramics at the Johannesburg College of Art, and then a master's in contemporary art at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Art in Copenhagen. She's best known as a painter and printmaker, as well as a performance artist, often performing in front of her finished works or as she did at the opening of her Origin Center exhibition, creating an artwork in front of her audience. Doris has received numerous awards and public commissions and has exhibited internationally, from Cairo to Beijing to Slovenia, and of course, frequently in South Africa. In this discussion, we talk about the path she followed to become an artist and explore her movement into performance in 2003 and the way she has mapped a visceral discourse of body, language and memory through her art. We also examine the ways in which her work engages with the sciences of paleontology and archaeology and the significance of visual technologies such as VR for her work as an artist in collaborative performance. Doris, welcome to the conversation and having experienced your remarkable and powerful show that's currently running at the Origin Center, that's Birdbone Whistler. I really want to explore some of the questions that are raised by your work and the tradition of practices that you bring to this work. And let's start by how did you come to art? How have you ended up being an artist between Denmark and South Africa? Yeah, I'll have to start... Uh, with the here and now, in order to try and understand what I do. And this, in my field of art and the activities I do, the art of explaining is elusive and it disappears and returns in waves and flashes, um, almost like bulbs flickering on and off. The need to recreate myself in every single situation is at times ponderous, meaning it's slow, clumsy, and because of a great weight. So my journey as an artist started, I would say, as a child growing up in the high felt in South Africa on a farm. And the expanses of nature around me were very present and constantly consuming. I was totally consumed by what was surrounding. And as well, I need to add that a privilege as a European child growing up in this uh, expanse of space. 
So the elements around me were very pristine and materials like clay and stone and, you know, trees, which developed my senses as a child. Lots of animals, and I spent a lot of time out there, practically naked, almost with a pair of shorts and barefoot. I think that this sort of encouraged my interest in art at a later stage. I didn't think of myself as a conscious artist, of course, as a child. And making clay figures and later parents putting them on a shelf confused me because it was just a part of my playground, really. So the understanding of aesthetics and the idea of what it meant to make art was not really in my childhood. My parents didn't really give me that stimulation either, except for the shelf business. Later, at primary school and in my education, the teachers and other pupils began to notice that I was the one who could draw in the classroom. So that also sharpened my sense of what I could do, the talent I had. Later on, of course, in matric, I received the art prize, which, of course, was an acknowledgement that I could do something different to my colleagues and the other pupils. After my education, I applied at the art school, to Johannesburg Art School, and was accepted I uh, participated in the entrance exam, which was quite an extreme sort of drawing exam and some form of oral exam as well. I decided to follow my studies by doing primary study at the art school and then qualifying as a ceramicist. In other words, the complete spectrum of ceramics, that is, all forms of clay work, architectural, sculptural and functional. This took me to... The point I was at that stage, which was a difficult time in South Africa, things were closed, we had no exposure to the rest of the world, and I subsequently wanted and I needed to find a form of post-studies, which took me to Denmark, Copenhagen, where I applied at the Royal Danish Academy and was accepted there. I decided to enroll in a department called Wall and Space, actually. It's called Moorholm in Danish, and it means everything that is connected to the design, architectural space, and what, you know, urban space, and so on. And this was a very interesting sort of to build on what I had already learned and studied in South Africa. And I also, parallel to this, enrolled at the graphics department, which was for me a breakthrough in all senses of the word of understanding European art. Since I didn't do fine art in South Africa and Johannesburg, this was a sort of opening to that. I worked in a very incredible studio, which was many hundreds of years old, one of the oldest in Europe, where we learned all these structures and methods of printmaking on these very old printmaking machines, still with the old, you know, hand-turned wheel. So the whole exposure to this new world which was a very deeply rooted in the european you know printmaking tradition all way back to you know 1415 and so on durer and rembrandt and so on this was very fascinating it was almost an opening in my understanding of things coming from south africa coming from the country and learning about this scandinavian mind set new language and a new language in my techniques my method of working i enjoyed the idea of the needle and the plate and the metal and the origins of the plate and paper making paper. And these three forms were what I experimented with a lot. I worked very hard and it uh, gave me this uh, exposure. So that is how I uh, arrived at that one part, yeah. So coming up to your current show at the Origin Centre, I noticed that you've used a schoolgirl image of yourself 
quite prominently in the exhibition in the catalogue, in some of the signage for the exhibition. And it's a striking image because you appear so, to use a perhaps rather dated term, androgynous. In fact, when I first saw it, I thought perhaps it was a schoolboy that's in some way related to your past. And in this exhibition, you have recent works, but you also have works going back about 12, even more years. Is this a retrospective? And what were you trying to do with this exhibition, having it here in South Africa? Well, the androgynous schoolgirl happened to be a photograph that I'd used for a poster, which was an exhibition that I had curated, also connecting South Africa, South African artists and Danish artists in Denmark. So I live very much in the two worlds, the polarized worlds, which I tried through my work to bring together through collaborative works. And this has been a way that I've functioned as an artist, actually, as far back as I can remember. The androgynous schoolgirl, I would say, probably is a metaphor for time. Actually, that's 23 years ago, the first collaborative work connecting the two poles. And so I decided to use it in this context also because the show at Origins, which is present at the moment, is site-specific, actually can only be shown and experienced in the space and place that it is. It's been a long journey to get to where it is now. I've been working on this for over five years, and the process before that was even longer. So the starting of the project was way back. So it is semi-retrospective, also because I haven't shown the work here in South Africa and Johannesburg for quite some time, not only because of the COVID break, I haven't had the possibility for the connection. So this work is a kind of a manifestation in a sense. And once it's down, it will not be shown really as it is in any other place because of the proximity of the Origin Centre, the relation to the whole ideal of what it represents, origins of our species. And in my show, I actually perform a performance which actually works with the idea of looking back and looking forward. I'm covered in two masks and within a virtual reality mask I experience myself as an instrument in the space and in this once-off performative action I am relating to our origins as cave dwellers looking into the cave, looking into the reflections of their own reflections on the cave as uh, light reflects on them, as references to Plato's cave allegory. Here, the idea of what we are presently trying to understand as contemporary humans with the media as a very strong presence in our consciousness today, I'm in this uh, performance attempting to make the connection from the origins, the sound of the rock face from the nature. How does that uh, represent itself today in our virtual world, in the development of AI and so on? Where is our mindset now? Yeah. I'm very interested in your move as an artist into performance art. And I understand that began some years into your career as a visual artist in 2003 with a piece you called Cape to Cairo. Performance and performing art is not new to me. That particular exhibition and performance in Cairo, which I called From Cape to Cairo, also again linking the South and the North, where I was invited on a Biennale, actually, the Cairo Biennale, 
And on it, I performed hanging from a ceiling where I performed almost uh, this rhythmic movement with my body on the wall, creating an image which was a reference to a newspaper image, and I use that often as a form of reference, media and how media is manipulated in then newspapers, but now social media and otherwise. So the little image that I used was an, actually a picture from a scene in India. I haven't been to India, but this was very interesting, and it reflected also many of the things that I work with, the inside and outside. In other words, the soft and the hard, the train was covered in people. It was covered in human bodies. In other words, the hard metal train became a soft worm, as it were, because people hang onto the train, outside train, and that is a normal way of transporting oneself. So I find this very interesting in relation to movement and how we as humans have developed from originally, you know, one could go all the way back to the fossils of the Burgess fossil, not able to see them with this naked eye, the movement to what we are today. Moving is still a very important part of our development and how we understand ourselves. And why did you feel the compulsion to bring your body into that communicative space? Well, this is important for me because I don't work from an academic or a verbal base. I use my body to express the unsayable, I would say. I'm very interested and in work conceptually. I do research in various aspects of scientific areas that touch on this, but also because of the biology of the body and how we come to be this form. To use my body is important, again, because of the question of rhythm. So I have done a performance earlier, which was about eating a hamburger with a knife and a fork over an hour. The question of how economy and how the global economy influences each individual in what we put into the hole in our face and how it influences the body and the neurological system in the brain, which alternately pushes us into moving in different ways, interacting in different ways. So I find this very interesting in also in relation to what's happening at the moment where we are threatened by the global warming and our sense of extinction and so forth, how this is going to impact on what we put into ourselves and how this will impact on our moving about in the world and moving amongst each other. Another point is that I question whether the aesthetic, the archetypal aesthetic inside of each individual is related to the DNA or is it a culturally conditioned sense of movement. I've been very taken up by window washers, for example, where they wash the window automatically without thinking of the aesthetic in the movement. But I have thousands of images of these movements because I find it very related to the primitive and the very essential basic pattern in our movements. And then also pattern recognition and understanding of our world around us, the urban situations and so on, how this all comes together. So the body is very much in my focus. In the large hangings, the canvases, the size of those pieces, which are large, you must have, when creating them, have been using the rhythms of your body together with the uh, materials which range from conventional paints and acrylics to elephant dung and bird bone glue. And it's clearly the case that you're not just creating an image, but it's a record of your physical engagement across these large, large pieces of canvas. And I'm again struck at how 
very resonant your works are with the surrounding pieces in the Origins Museum. And it's a museum of origins, of the beginnings of humanity, the beginnings of representation and art. And what role has paleontology played in your work? I mean, even the title, Bird, Bone, Whistler, it evokes the sense of ancient artifacts discovered in a landscape and meditated on? Well, as I mentioned, my roots have taken me across many different parts of the world, different countries, and I have actually been interested in the idea of this paleontology. I don't profess to be a paleontologist or scientist or any form of this. I'm interested in also the science of semiology and it overlaps with certain people I have come across in my travels. For example, David Lewis Williams, who is a very well-known paleontologist, anthropologist here in South Africa and has been connected to the Origin Center for many, many years, has inspired me. And some years back, I also had the interest to actually going out in the field and finding these things and looking for these rock artworks. I was very fascinated by his theories on the altered state of consciousness, which is about, you know, the reference to the sun, and in this case here in southern Africa, how the brain actually under a certain influences of trance state and the brain arriving in the altered state of consciousness and how one experiences the geometric shapes that seem to appear in the brain or in the back of your eye. And these images or these forms have taken up my time in my work and I've introduced them, worked with them a lot because of the geometrical shapes and I've used that in many works. For example, cone shape, which we use in traffic direction and also the pyramid form, the triangle. I found that reference to the termite mounds. It's a sort of a metaphor for this. And also the organism inside of these. So both it has a reference and it also has a correspondence to where I grew up and also in the urban context of wherever I go in the cities and so on. Because those are kind of universal. They use the same shapes everywhere. And my interest is how do these shapes originate in design. So the archetype in design, the forming of shapes and objects that we use in our everyday are related to some part of our archetypal understanding of form. So this interests me and I use that in a organic way and also in a questioning way of how it comes to be. That is one. And the other reason was my early participation in a seminar in the 80s at the Institute of the Studies of Prehistory and Art in Europe, which was also another area. I was invited to be participate in this symposium held by a very prominent archaeologist called Professor Emanuel Onati. And this was in Italy, and I spent a lot of time there, where it links up with the African rock art. So this symposium actually focused mainly on the sound of the rock and origins of instruments. So there as well, the focus was on the geometric elements like rectangle circles, the dots, and it's sort of the symbolic meaning of these anthropomorphic petroglyphs. And then to take you right forward, you've mentioned it already, but the performance piece you did using VR at your exhibition at the Origins Museum. And I didn't catch that performance, unfortunately, but the record of that performance has been placed behind that archive of etched rocks in the basement of the Origins Museum. And if I can just describe it, it was the floor that you performed on. 
and what's been left are the marks that you made during your performance and that is now standing on the wall actually foregrounded by this collection of etched and inscribed prehistoric rocks that Origin Centre has in that basement. And that very strong connection between the need to make a mark, to inscribe, to leave a mark, to make a record, to make sense of experience, and your work in that performance piece, which you called blank. Can you just explain the performance piece <laughs> quite carefully? Because it's a complicated piece of performance involving you reacting from visual memory to an existing piece of art, Leonardo's The Adoration of the Magi, and yet going beyond that into an engagement with quite an abstract mark-making tendency. The performance I called Blank, inspired by, actually, Harold Bloom's take on Emerson. There were many references to blanks in American literature, and I found that very interesting because how much was actually referred to as blank and the idea of what was blank. I specifically refer to Emerson's sense of blankness in nature, where he says, in nature the ruin and blank we see when we look at nature is in our own eye, meaning the white of the eye. The axis of vision is no longer coincident with the axis of things. So we behold everything no longer as transparent but opaque. And this was quite significant in this performance as a metaphor or sort of an understanding of what actually happens behind the eyes when you cannot see what you're doing. So I have the virtual reality headset on. I have a distorted image inside and it's the same image that the audience are able to see, which is in this case the unfinished work of Leonardo da Vinci, Adoration of the Magi. It has a reference to the spiritual idea of what humans at that time, the Renaissance and so on, understood as something that permeated one's religious understanding. So the image is a, is a beautiful image and it's almost monochrome, so I thought that it would work in this context as well. Since it was unfinished, I could work on the idea of taking it further in this situation in South Africa and the idea of the spirit coming through the nature and the rock. Here I am presenting myself between the audience and the canvas which has fixed to it sound senses. So my touch on the canvas resonates out in the space. In other words, a kind of a metaphor for, again, the cave. But I interact with musicians live in the space who will, in a sense, play me as an instrument. So I uh, can only construct or work on this painting with my memory, in a sense, because I can't remember where I started and finished. So the idea is what is actually happening behind the eyes and inside the mind. So it's interesting to place the canvases in the room with the rock engravings after the performance. <laughs> yes, no, it certainly does. And... There you leave the trace of the performance in the form of that marked floor. But in the rest of the exhibition, you've got two incredibly strong performance pieces recorded on video. And the one is Bloom's Butcher. And next to it, 
and you've projected them in a very interesting way that the projections are into the corners of the room. So it's not entirely easy to grasp exactly what's going on, but the viewer soon picks up that there's a really gory engagement happening on the one side between a performer, quite a buxom performer, who is essentially dragging viscera out of this cow carcass. And then there's clearly you in the other video wearing a schoolgirl uniform again, echoing that image that you've used for the exhibition. And you, in fact, climb into the hollowed-out carcass of a dead cow. Certainly, this is taking the inside-outside relationship very far, we could say, into the depths of an organism. What's happening in those works? The performance with the cow that I crawl into fully dressed as an adult is, of course, reference to, again, the childhood out in the felt where these things were very natural and cows were going through post-mortems all the time. So the carcasses of animals were very natural to me. But, of course, placing it in a gallery situation and having to climb into it fully dressed with shoes and socks and everything is actually shocking also as an adult artist. Um, I relate to systems in many of my performances. In other words, hierarchies in systems, uniform representing hierarchy systems that conformity and so on. And, of course, there in Copenhagen had the cow shot at the zoo and brought it into the gallery context. And, of course, it was taken back to feed the lions. So this idea of cyclic uh, works. The other work was also referring, again, to the Bloomsbutcher in Icelandic. It's translated to Blomaslatter, and, and that means the butcher of flowers, of blooms. It's another way of also referring to systems that actually cut people down to levelling out the fields and uniformity and so on and so on. I have been living in different parts of the world with different systems, so I refer to that because it actually does impact on one's whole being, wherever you are. So this was a reference to my opa, my grandfather, who was actually a butcher, and his butchery was called Bloom's Butcher in Malvern in Johannesburg. So there was a direct reference to that, but also, again, in another context, in a 400-year-old building looking somewhat like the globe in London with sort of people looking down on it rather than looking at a stage. And the floor was strewn with flowers. Of course, the symbolism in that, the butchery and the, <laughs> the butcher and with the meat, where I do the dance with a whole set from inside the animal that is the stomach the heart the lungs and the throat and everything that is part of the inside of an animal or human i dance to the music of strauss's waltz and again it is the reference to the european in vienna the ideal of as you say a buxom woman on stiletto hills with this absurd combination if you abstract from the meat idea, it's almost like these flurrying and flourishing Viennese dresses of that period. And whatever happened in that period is another story. I don't really go into the politics of it, but these things have affected and influenced us, everybody. One of the reasons I am in Africa is because of the European story and history. Your connection to a particular part of African soil 
is really noteworthy in that you've been displaced or you've chosen to go to Europe to be based in Denmark. You've kept coming back to South Africa. And I think of that collaboration that you did in 1995 as part of the Johannesburg Biennale. And that, as I understand it, was a two-part work. And the first was a land art piece that you did on the actual farmland where you were born and you spent your early years. Can you talk about that piece? Because it seemed in so many ways to lay the, if I can say, the grounds for the large-scale fabric paintings that you've exhibited centrally in Birdbone Whistler. My works are, of course, very conscious of landscape and how the landscape you know, influences our movements, our body, and to the environment and also to the space. The work, which was called Memory and Geography, which is a work I did together with William Kendridge, marked a watershed for me, for example, to be able to return to South Africa at that time, a very important time where South Africa had changed from a system of suppression to a new democracy. So the whole idea of the Biennale was actually where prominent people and artists participated in this exhibition. Our work referred to also the situation that was present in the 70s where blackboard education and so on, the white chalk on the blackboard. So the burnt felt out on the farm, which is purely chance, we were looking for an area that was burnt. That happened to be not too far from Johannesburg, and it was a huge area that was burnt and so blackened. We drew the atomical heart on this black felt, which was a reference to, again, the changes from the education system, went, which actually pushed the whole system into evolving new South Africa as we know it today. The other work we did was a drawing in the centre of the city, a fire drawing, which was very, very large, and also had a reference to the old Johannesburg, the old South Africa. It was a burning gate in the city, a scene from the sky. Now, how we arrived at that was also referring to, again, this idea of connecting the dots in a constellation as we would see it in the sky. So the idea of our work being shown in sewers around Johannesburg, allowing people to see things in a different way, and driving around Johannesburg during the Benal because it was kind of an installation and the very large projector we had projecting this work onto big walls and in areas that people didn't really frequent normally. So red light districts and areas like that, people would be able to see this work that we were showing at the Biennale. So the idea was also these places we showed the work in a sort of invisible monument. In other words, if you connected the dots of where we showed and uh, actively projected into restaurants, new restaurants of the new South Africa, sort of right into people, connected these dots, it became a constellation. So we were hoping to project it into the skies, which would be a connective visual element in the same way that if we all looked at the constellation in the sky, we're connecting our visual focus. And that was sort of behind this work that we did. It also was the focus on a collaborative interaction. For me, it was the watershed of bringing my work together with William's work in the new context of South African change. Looking back on that now, close to 30 years later, that was a time of immense optimism. It was at the time of Mandela and Mandela's charisma when South Africa had achieved what seemed to be a miracle of 
peaceful democratic elections coming out of what I think everybody anticipated was likely to be the most brutal and destructive race war. It didn't happen. The miracle happened. Now that you're back in Johannesburg presenting Birdbone Whistler, how does it look to you now, that time when you were doing Memory Landscape with William Kentridge versus 2023 when you're doing Birdbone Whistler in the Origin Centre? I, on purpose, steer away from politics, political discussion, because I'm, uh, as I said, not academic and I'm not a politician, and I try to observe things from a cultural point of view. But I would say that, as we all know, it's very problematic. Everybody can sense that. But I move in different areas, different circles. I move in many different spheres in South Africa. And my sense is that there is an extraordinary positive element that is present here in South Africa, which is almost a crucible for what, what could be learned from other places in the world right now at this present time. I've always sensed that. I've always loved that part of Africa, being here and growing up with it, of course, without knowing the extreme problems that one has to deal with, poverty and education and health. But it is almost like as if somebody had thrown a Lego game with many different shapes out on the floor. And they have to sort of come together in a way. And I have a feeling that it can, it will. There is enough sense of what is right, a sense of justice amongst the people here about being uh, kind to each other. I believe there is something here in South Africa that's really hard to find anywhere else in the world. And... What do you think, as an artist now, not to push you on sort of political assessments, as an artist, what can one take from the experience of Africa, particularly the experience of the African land, that is a contribution or is a perspective that would not necessarily be available to artists from other parts of the world? If I may relate to this because I think that could answer it. It's something written by a professor, Torsten Sidowski in Denmark, about my work and I think refers to a lot of this, an answer that I could give you. The contemporary traveller recognises this when the beautiful stranger fails to fit the frame of the expected stereotype image. I myself is nomad at the age of 22, came to know Europe, not in nomadic relations with the postmodern sense proclaimed by the prophets of our beautiful newly uniformed world, equipped with a patchwork of identity. At home, in every hotel room, changing roles at one changes clothes, people do not circulate like goods, although they inevitably carry some baggage. And to use the analogy of archaeology, retrieval of relics from the past, I discover in the midst of modern civilizations the remains of a culture long gone, and in nature a diversity of regular and repeated structures, patterns and shapes. Whether it be a case of archetypal industrial products like road signs, company logos, or other mass-produced signs and symbols in our modern world, or centuries-old Geological formations, hastily drawn graffiti or footprints in the sand, a cave painting or an aerial image of a city. 
I stand on the boundary between North and South, the Orient and the Occident, and look before closely at nature and cultural phenomena with the eyes of the other in the world of almost too many images. Perhaps it is the artist's job to observe more intensely and in different ways. Standing at the border on the edge means being a foreigner, a stranger, and being at the outsider, a distinct sensitivity develops for a place's particularity. With departure from well-known surroundings, one moves from participant to witness. The consummate new arrival wishes to be the cosmopolitan who has learned to know and accept the relativity of the cultural phenomena, while at the same time feeling at home everywhere and nowhere, yet cosmopolitanism also means recognizing unity in diversity. The text was written for an exhibition that I had in Denmark at a museum in 1997. And Torsten Sadowski is this professor who written the text for the catalogue and actually referenced to my work at the time. I also performed a performance then, which included different elements that translated what I was also showing and what I was saying. I had an Inuit woman who danced and did a performance with a colleague from South Africa originally and a performer who lived in Amsterdam. He came through and a, a Scottish performer and pianist, an opera singer from Cologne in Germany and myself. And we did an interactive uh, performative thing, which actually some people still who saw it found it quite interesting because it was again this collaboration of different cultures that crossed over each other through my work. So the text actually refers to much of this and also my moving through time and space in the sense that he talks about the people of the islands that actually moved in a circle. Some moved clockwise and others moved anticlockwise, actually exchanging gifts with each other when they met each other again. They never really understood why they did this, but it was a ritual and a tradition that always did this way of moving around the very rough waters, the seas, in the dugout canoes, bringing gifts which were exchanged by this opposing circle of movement. And he uses that as a reference to how I work. I work within this context always, being a national and an international artist. And I think we find ourselves in a world of branding and focusing very much on artists and writers or musicians being a particular brand from a particular country. And I find that very interesting that because the more people move and the more sort of interactive and integrated the, the works are on social media and wherever, the influences are very difficult to decipher anymore. So the idea of a national artist is beginning to lose its significance, I think. So in a way, I have always found myself in this between chairs, this problem of belonging and yet not belonging, you know, belonging to places, but at the same time having a difficulty to define myself in the actual context of a national artist. So the idea of being cosmopolitan has always been more acceptable for me, even though I belong to both places, Scandinavia and Africa. But these things are very liquid and fluid today, much more than they were then. And then it seems to me that beneath that is the substrate 
the terra firma, if I can call it, of the land itself that is marked by not just human boundaries and divisions, border posts, walls, fences, but is also marked by animal traces and paths, routes marked out by migrants, both human and and non-human. And your work, to me, engages very much with that aspect of the land, the land that is the basis for our sense of physical existence in the world, long prior to any political divisions or national boundaries. I think you've said that, expressed that very well. And Interregnum, for example, also one of the titles is exactly that too, in that it is in between leaders or rulers and so on. It's the period in between. Doris, thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time to speak to me and for your show at the Origins Museum, which has been a profound experience to engage with it. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Christo, for inviting me to talk. You've been listening to a dialogue between myself, Christo Doherty, the Chair of Research in the Witt School of Arts, and my guest, the South African artist, Doris Bloom. This podcast was hosted and produced by myself, with technical production by Elna Schutz. The music for this podcast was composed and performed by Lee Rosvier and is used under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>